opening. I want you to grab your Bible this morning uh, so that we can hear the Spirit of God speak to us through His Word. And uh, we're going to be in the New Testament, so if you want to be turning there to the book of Titus, chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, as you're making your way there, as we consider another attribute of God this morning. And as you're turning there, I don't know, are there any Boy Scouts here? I know that in recent years, Boy Scouts kind of gone south, and uh, most people uh, don't agree with where they've been, the direction they've gone. But when I was growing up, I was a Boy Scout, and uh, uh, Troop 250 there in New York, and, uh, and as a Boy Scout... Um, I learned the scout law. I don't know if you are a Boy Scout. If you learned the scout, everybody knows the motto, right? Be prepared. But the scout law was 12 principles, that 12 laws that a scout was to live by. And I was taught there to memorize the scout law, that a scout is trustworthy and loyal and helpful, friendly, courteous, and kind, <clears throat> obedient, cheerful, and thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. And it was those principles about how we should live as scouts and how we should treat those around us. And it'd be nice if we all were kind, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it make life a lot better? Anyone who's raising multiple children will say, Amen. Amen. Teaching kindness is something that uh, we take for granted, but it's something that we need to learn. Because if you look out there in the society around us, I don't see a lot of kindness, do you? We desperately need to experience God's kindness, and I think that's what makes civilization civilized, is by the way we treat one another with kindness. It's not just something scouts learn, it's a principle that we frankly teach our children each and every day. And our culture has lost the ability to speak kindly, to deal kindly, just to show common courtesy and common respect. And we need that, but it's not surprising because we no longer regard one another made in the image of God. And as made in the image of God, we would have dignity and respect. But you realize today in a culture that's really turned its back on God and is godless, that when you don't realize that everyone has dignity, uh, you would treat them with kindness. And how do you recapture that in a culture that's lost that? One of the things we realize is as we're studying the attributes of God, it's because of who he is that we know who we should be and what we should be like. And one of the things the scripture teaches us is about the kindness of God, that God is kind towards us. He's shown his kindness towards us. And our responsibility is to, again, as believers who've been shown the kindness of God, we need to show it to the world around us. When you study the Old Testament, there's a beautiful picture there in the Old Testament in the life of David. When King David was anointed as king, you knew he was, he was just a young man. And, and Saul, who was the existing king, uh, he didn't like the idea of David uh, being the one that would uh, take his throne. And remember, he was chucking spears at him and doing everything he could to get rid of David. And it was his son, Jonathan, who actually showed kindness to David and was his friend. In fact, when he said, when he realized his dad was going to try and kill David, he, he's the one who warned David, listen, you need to flee for your life. Later on, when Saul and Jonathan uh, were killed in battle, David said, I need to do something to repay Jonathan for his kindness to me. What could I do to to return the kindness that, that he showed me as my friend? And so as he wrestled with that and asked, does anybody know, does he do... Does Saul have any sons that remain or any descendants that remained? It was discovered that there was one son of Jonathan, Mephibosheth, uh, that was still alive. And yet this young man, this uh, young boy, actually was crippled. 
uh, he was one that was carried from place to place. He didn't have any livelihood, anything he could do. And so David said, listen, bring him to me because I want to show him kindness. Now that was surprising in and of itself because, you know what, when you were taking a throne and becoming a new leader, if the previous leader wanted to kill you, you typically got rid of all of their family. So there'd be no threat to you. But what David does is amazing. He says, Mephibosheth, I want you to come and I'm going to give you all of your dad's fields back. All of Saul's fields, all your granddad's fields. I'm going to give those fields back to you. And they now will belong to you. But Mephibosheth couldn't work them. He said, in fact, Mephibosheth, I want you to come and I want you to sit at my table and eat from my sumptuous meals with all of my sons. You sit at the royal table and I'm going to treat you like one of my sons. And it's a beautiful picture for us of the kindness that David shows and his display of kindness that wasn't deserved, it wasn't earned, there was nothing that demanded David show that to Mephibosheth. How could he possibly do that? Well, here's the amazing thing. It's a picture for you and for me of God's kindness towards us. We are like Mephibosheth. We are helpless. We are hopeless. We've got nothing good as far as a future prospect in and of ourselves. But God shows us kindness. Just as David showed kindness, God shows kindness to you and to me through the son of David, Jesus, who gave himself for us. And God now invites us to be one of his children and have access to a, a meal and to be sumptuously fed and, and to enjoy all the blessings of being in his family. And the reason that happens is because of God's kindness towards you and towards me. It's the expression of God's kindness towards us that is the basis of salvation. It is God reaching towards you and reaching towards me and saying, you don't earn this, you don't deserve it, but yet we are blessed because God is kind towards us. And if I really hear God speak today, and you hear the Spirit of God speaking, and I'm renewing my mind, then I'm going to put off those fleshly attitudes of nastiness and, and coarseness and spite and, and, and being renewed in my mind, that kindness should flow into my life and out of my life into a world around us. And man, that would make life better, wouldn't it? That would radically change our culture if you and I, the ones who have received God's kindness, were those who showed God's kindness to an unkind world. How do we do that? And why do we do that? Well, that's what Paul is writing to Titus about. And he's explaining many things to him, but in particular, here in chapter 3, he says, listen, this is what a gracious life looks like for one who's become an heir of grace. One of those who has become one of the children of God. What your life and my life should give evidence of and testimony of as those who have received God's kindness. So I want you to stand with me and honor the word of the Lord as we read a few verses. What's fascinating is from verse 4 all the way down through verse 7 is just one long sentence. So we're going to read actually starting in verse 3. But it's amazing what's jam-packed in just these few verses that instruct me, teach me, not the scout's law, but this is God's law of something that I should be changed by because I've experienced the kindness of God. And I pray you have to listen to what Paul says here to Titus, verse 3. For we ourselves were also once, this is our past, foolish, disobedient, deceived, 
serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Those aren't, un, those aren't kind things, are they? No, that's all unkindness there. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And this is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. And Father, I want to profit my life. And I want you to profit my life. And I want you to profit the lives of those before me, Lord. I I want to live in a way that is a blessing, not only for my family, but for this church family and for this world. And God, that's why we're here. And you have shown us kindness despite what we once were. We give thanks today and pray now that our hearts, our minds would be changed and transformed. And that, Lord, because we are those who have experienced your loving kindness, God, may we share it, may we show it, and may this world see and Perhaps, Lord, it be an opportunity for us to invite others to experience the kindness that you've shown us in Christ Jesus. Spirit of God, speak to us right now. Lord, I pray that you anoint our hearts, our ears to hear that we might be transformed and renewed by truth. It's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What is divine kindness? It is that attribute that leads God to provide salvation for mankind. It is how God loves us and treats us in a loving way. It is His mercy. It is His grace. It is His goodness. It is His love that is extended toward us. And it is called His kindness. In fact, if you go over in the Old Testament, sometimes you'll read there a term that says God's loving kindness. Have you ever seen that in your Bible? When you're studying the Old Testament, that word, God's loving kindness, is hesed. And it talks about God's covenant love, the love that he shows to you and to me. It's a love that's loyal. It's a love that's faithful. And God shows us that great love in redemption. And as he does that, the prophets often remind God's people of God's loving kindness. Now, it's not surprising when we read that, because even here it says there in verse 4 that God's kindness and his love, you see those two terms together, reach towards you and towards me. And in the New Testament, that word for kindness is Christos. And the Christos is not the Christos, that's the Christ. That's the Greek word for the Messiah, the anointed one. But the krestos, the kindness of God, when you read it in Scripture, frequently it is associated with what Christ has done for you and me. The krestos, the kindness that God shows us, is because the Christos came to die for us. 
And because of the work of Christ, you and I experience God's kindness, his loving kindness. In fact, that scripture that we read earlier, Pastor Paul led us to read in Romans chapter 2, the Greek word, while it's translated goodness, is krestos. Why does God show us the riches of his kindness? Why does he show us his forbearance? Why does God show us his long-suffering? Why is God like that to you and to me and to this world? It's because he wants the kindness, the Christos, to draw us or cause us to repent. You see, the Bible teaches over in Psalm 145, God is good to all. He's compassionate to all. He's kind to everyone. And yet, men spurn him and reject him and shake their fists at him and rebel against him. And yet, as Paul would say, God is reaching, extending kindness to mankind. And as he extends kindness to mankind, he's patient and forbearing. He wants us to repent. And he's very long-suffering with that. Think about how patient he was, not just with you and with me, to respond to his overtures, his reaching toward us in kindness. But you look and you see time and again in Scripture how patient he is with rebellious mankind. He was patient for 120 years while Noah built an ark. He was patient for 400 years with the Amorites not bringing his people out of the bondage of Egypt back to the land he has promised. He was patient with Nineveh and sent them not just one prophet but a second one. Jonah comes and preaches and tells them to repent. And it's Nahum and comes later and says, listen, this repentance that happened has not long lived and now judgment is coming upon you. God demonstrates this kindness to Jew and Gentile. And as he does this, it's his loving kindness that are the basis for all of his redemption that he wants us to experience. When Paul writes to Timothy right here, and he's, I'm sorry, to Titus, he says in verse 4, well, there was a way that we once were in verse 3. We once were foolish and disobedient, deceived and serving our lust of our flesh, the various lusts and pleasures, the things that we desired. We lived in unkind ways with malice towards other, with envy and hatred, hating one another. That's how we once were, unkind in so many ways. But the kindness of God, the love of God, has reached towards us and towards man. It has appeared. There is evidence that God has shown his kindness to you and to me. In fact, over in Ephesians chapter 2, we know over there something similar, similar theme is presented. As Paul says, listen, you and I once walked according to the count's course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once were when we conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God showed us mercy. He was rich in mercy because of his great love toward us. And then listen to this. He did this, according to verse 7, so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
Kindness is God's salvation that reaches towards you and me. And the evidence of that is a hill called Calvary. When Jesus offered himself for you and for me to pay the penalty that our sins deserved. And that sacrifice that he offered is the evidence of how great God's love is to save us. And so when Jesus was sent to be the Savior of the world, that's the tangible evidence of God's kindness reaching to us. And praise God this morning that we can testify of that. Praise God that we have the evidence, the eyewitnesses who acknowledged why God sent the Christos, Jesus the Christ, to be the Savior for the world. Now the expression of that, The expression of God's kindness is seen in a particular way. It's evident because God sent his son to be the savior. But that came, that salvation came not, as it says in verse 4 or verse 5, because of works of righteousness that we have done, but it was according to his mercy that he saved us. Beloved, you and I have no righteousness. We have nothing that merits any favor with God. If you and I think that on our best day, we do something that's really right, and you think that you got it just right, then let me just tell you, at some point, we all fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Isaiah would say it this way, your righteousness, my righteousness, the very best we do, listen, it's nothing but filthy rags before a holy God. In some way, we all fail to do the right thing and measure up. And if we fail in one point, We're guilty of the whole thing. But here's the amazing thing. While we don't have that available, any righteousness, God in his mercy doesn't give us what we deserve, which is the penalty for sin, which is death, but instead offers you and offers me something we don't deserve, which he freely gives, which is his grace. And this is the amazing thing that we see and we celebrate that God offers that with a righteousness that doesn't come by doing anything. It comes by believing in the sacrifice that Christ offered for you and for me. The just, the righteous live by faith. That's the principle we have to learn that we realize I don't have any righteousness But Jesus came and lived the sinless life that I could never live, thus attaining a righteousness that could be credited to my account. And he died on a cross to pay the penalty for my unrighteousness because the wages of sin is death. And when he paid that penalty, if I repent of my sins and put my faith in that sacrifice and what Christ did for me, I can be declared righteous. And God mercifully shows that to us and expresses his kindness to us that we could make that exchange. That he who is righteous could take and give us his righteousness so that we could see him pay the penalty for our unrighteousness. And God mercifully does that for you and for me. Why does God do that? Why does God do that to those who spurn his goodness? Why does God do that to those who reject his precepts and rebel against his commandments and worship created things rather than the creator? Why does God do that and continue to reach and show us his forbearance and his long suffering so that we would repent? We would repent and turn to him 
and believe. That's the gospel. That's the good news for sinners like me, for sinners like you. Listen, who desperately need to turn while there is time. And he expresses this for us. God expresses this in a merciful way, showing us his kindness and his love. Now, when that happens, when that happens in your life that you realize, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, and the Spirit of God opens our eyes and helps us to realize, to see that Jesus died in our place, and we can put our trust in him to save us, something happens in your life. And this is what God's kindness does that he has shown us. This is the effect of it upon us. Notice what he says here at the end of verse 5. He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us, on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, when God saves us, there's three important things that happen here. We are washed through regeneration and through renewal. Those are key terms. When he talks about washing here, the picture is, y'all, we get clean because we get dunked. And when we get dunked, the washing washes away and cleanses us. Now, some read that and they think, well, that's why you go through the water. That you go through the baptism and that's what washes you clean. That's just good county water, okay? It's Iredell County water, just like you use at home. Uh, when we go through the baptismal waters, praise God, we warm it up, okay? But it's just county water. There's nothing mystical nor magical about that water. Those who go through the water there are testifying that something else has happened and they've been washed in another substance, and that is blood. You say, that's pretty gory. No. The Bible teaches that what happens is when we are saved, when we repent and place our faith in Christ, the Bible says that the Spirit of God baptizes us into the death of Christ. That we are baptized into his death that he offered. And it's through his shedding of his blood that our sins are forgiven. And when that sin is forgiven, the power of sin is loosened from your life. Not only are you cleansed, but the taint of sin and the power of sin no longer remains there that you and I have to be in subject to it. You ever seen those Tide commercials or a detergent commercial where it talks about throw this pod into the, 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 into the washing machine and what happens to your clothes, it shows the fabric there and all the particles of dirt just lifting off of the fabric. That's what happens when we're baptized into the death of Christ. Listen, the penalty of sin no longer hangs over us. The wages of sin is death. But listen... Without the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9.22 tells us, there's no remission of sin. Unless blood is spilled, a sacrifice is offered, and it has to be a perfect one, which Jesus offered for us. Unless that happens, then God's righteous requirement has not been met, that someone has to die. You can't bring your bull or bring your goat or bring your sheep and that be a sufficient sacrifice for your sin. Those were temporary coverings that God allowed until the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, Jesus, appeared to take away the sins of mankind. An animal can't die. A brute beast can't die for your willful decisions, my willful decisions. They're just beasts. We need someone who had a 
sufficient, I mean a perfect will, who always obeyed the Father, to die in our place. Because he always did, not his will, but the will of his Father. And he dies for you and me because we don't always do the will of the Father. We often do our will. And so Jesus dies for us. And when he does, when we're saved, we are baptized into that death. And praise God, sin is no longer ruling in our life. It doesn't have to reign any longer because he set us free. How does that happen? Well, you are regenerated and renewed. Regeneration, listen, you're born again. You get a new nature. We are made new. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? How can you, how can you go to heaven unless you are what? You can't go to heaven unless you are born again. And Nicodemus said, how does that happen? How do you enter back in your mother's womb? I mean, nobody can do that. And Jesus says, you're a teacher of the of law and you don't even understand these things? Listen, it's not that you enter back into your mother's womb. You were born of the Spirit. And it's a mystery how that happens. That the Spirit of God comes and opens our eyes and helps us to realize we're sinners that deserve death. But Jesus offered a sacrifice for you and for me that if I repent and put my trust in his sacrifice, I can be saved. You can be saved. Not because of anything you and I have done, but all because of what Christ has done. And when that happens, we are born again. We are made new, spiritually reborn. We are converted. And then this idea of being renewed is the idea of being made new again. Being baptized into his death, we die as sinners and we rise as children of God with a new nature. In fact, over in Revelation, it says in Revelation 1.5, as it's written there, to him who loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. In fact, we'll sing and celebrate that in heaven. Read Revelation 4 and 5 as we gather around the throne and sing in, in heaven. Behold the Lamb. His love is written where? On his hands. When he died for you and for me and gave the sacrifice and washed us from our sin. Releasing us from the power of sin in our life. And we are born again. We are made new. And when we're made new, we now renew our minds by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God takes God's principles and precepts in His Word and renews our mind as we put off the way we once lived and we put on a new way of living based on the truth of God's Word. And as we do that, applying those principles in our life, it changes how I want to live. It should change how you want to live day by day. It should change your affections, what you love. Because now we love God supremely in light of His great love that He's shown us. It changes my attitude in life. It changes my actions in life. It changes all of these things. Life is radically changed. Why? Because we are being renewed. Because we have a new nature, because we've been washed by the Spirit. And to accomplish all of that, it's kind of like your life was flooded with the Spirit of God. You got all of the Spirit, we get all of the Spirit when we repent and place our faith and trust in Christ. And it's the Spirit of God that begins to change our life day by day. Now what's the end result of that? 
That's the effect of what happens. All this comes through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and the work of the Holy Spirit that God pours out on us. But this now changes my past, my present, and my future. It changes my past because now we having been justified by His grace. Now listen, your past, my past, praise God, when God makes us right, we don't have to give an account for that anymore. Man, praise the Lord. Don't you want to be free today? Don't you want to be free from the penalty of sin that's against you? Why would you spurn this? Why wouldn't you rush to it and say, I need that forgiveness? All of us have an, a record, an account against us. And it doesn't matter how many sins, how small they are, how big they are. The penalty is the same for every one of them. And God doesn't discriminate against any of us, male and female. It doesn't matter our age, our economic incomes, it does, our, whatever our status is in life. It doesn't matter. The wages of sin is death. And what we deserve is that penalty. But God, listen, this is the amazing thing. When you experience his loving kindness that he share, shares with you and you put your faith in Christ, God can treat you and treat me just as if we've never sinned. Praise the Lord that that is not hanging over my head any longer. That is cause for shouting and celebrating. And it's all possible because of the kindness that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. And so we have been justified, and now when God sees you and sees me, those who've placed our faith and trust in Christ, He doesn't see us. He sees us covered by that precious blood, the righteousness that Christ achieved for us, and He doesn't see our sin. Praise the Lord this morning. That's why when we, we don't fear a judgment for our sin because the penalty's already been paid. But that's my past. What about my future? Having been justified, listen, by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I mean, this is our future prospects. Listen, we were like Mephibosheth. We didn't have any future prospects. We couldn't even get up and work those fields that were given to us. We couldn't experience and enjoy all those blessings unless someone helped us. And that was us. That was me. That was you before we came to Christ. But now that we have come to him, we have become those who are his children. And we have an everlasting hope. This isn't just some temporary transformation. This is something that impacts your destiny, your future. And it is an everlasting, eternal hope that we become heirs of God according to the hope of eternal life. Now what's amazing is the truth uh, that accords to godliness, Titus, Paul would tell Titus over in chapter 1, verse 2, comes in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. God has promised those, this eternal life for anyone and everyone who would put their, their faith in Him and trust in the truth of who Jesus is and what He's done for us. And what's amazing is, that means my future prospects look really promising. Not because of me or what I've done, but only because of what Christ has done for me on behalf of me through the cross at Calvary. And so my past is dealt with. My future looks optimistic. And then the other effect is this. What about my present everyday living? Well, that's in verse 8. And this is the application Based on who we once were, verse 3, foolish, disobedient, 
deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures. We were living in malice, envy, hateful and hateful towards one another. But that's changed now. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared and it instructs us how to no longer live like the world, how to no longer live godless, but instead to be zealous for good works. And that's why he says here in verse 8, listen, this is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that these who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Do you know what changes a society? It's when people respect others made in the image of God with common decency and courtesy and show kindness to others. That radically changes our world. But that will not happen until people recognize the kindness that God has extended towards us so that we share and show that kindness one to another. In fact, over in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, it's, or 32 rather, it says uh, that we are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? As God in Christ forgave you. A command that we have, an imperative that we now have, is based on what Christ has done. And because of what Christ has done and God has shown us forgiveness, we now are able to show kindness to those around you. You say, Pastor Chris, you don't know some of the people who've been really hateful to me, really spiteful to me, really unkind to me. I don't know that I can do it. I'm glad you said that. You know why? Because this crestos, this kindness, is not natural It's supernatural. You see, it's an attribute of God. In fact, it's a fruit of the Spirit. You know the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's right there. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You can't manufacture this. I can't manufacture this. It's the Spirit of God who works in me, renews me, reminds me of what Jesus has done for me, the forgiveness God has shown me, and as the recipient of that, I'm now commanded, allow that to flow through you to reach other people's lives. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is not something we gin up and just give a better effort to. This is when we die to self that the life of Christ might be manifested in us and we allow God's Spirit to renew our minds as we put off those things we once did and put on a new way of living because it's the Spirit of God working in me and through me. And here's the little conspiracy. Think about this. Stop. How do we change the culture around it? How do you change the office tomorrow? How do you change your classroom tomorrow? How do you change the ball team tomorrow? How do you change life in your home so that people show kindness? Well, here's the interesting thing. If we are the body of Christ, if the Spirit of Christ dwells within us, then we should be agents of kindness, secret agents, right? Where, listen, When a world is unkind to us, hateful, spiteful, and does those things, just imagine the opportunity we have if we respond kindly to someone. And all of a sudden they say, whoa, that's not how this world works. Yeah, you're right. Why are you being kind to me? Well, let me tell you about the kindness that was shown to me. Because I can't do this, but he can. Through me. To others. And see, it's that opportunity that God gives us 
to testify and bear witness as examples of the riches of his kindness that's been shown to us in Christ Jesus. We've been saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. But we are his workmanship created for good works that we might walk in them. And so this week, the opportunity is going to happen. Someone, believer, is going to be unkind to you, spiteful to you, hateful to you, and you make a choice right then. Are you going to respond in the flesh or respond in the spirit? Am I going to allow God's spirit to work in me and through me, perhaps as an agent of kindness, listen, so that they see and experience God's kindness and forgiveness and someone being tenderhearted back to them And maybe it just opens the door for us to give a witness of the kindness we've received in Jesus. Are we looking for that opportunity that might be right there before us? Are we embracing that opportunity? Because oftentimes it's in a world, listen, that's grown cold, whose hearts are cold. And what a powerful witness and testimony that would be to those who are foolish and disobedient and deceived and serving their own pleasures and living in spite and hate. We once were that, but we're not that anymore. And we should be salt and we should be light so that we can give evidence and testify that my condition was miserable and I had no help and no hope, but God showed me kindness and his love. And now I'm doing that to you. Why? Because I want to testify and be a testimony of God's amazing kindness.